0: Well, good evening. uh, I don't think I'm going to chew up the full fifty-something minutes tonight, so I hope you're okay with that. Um, (coughs) Sharon was bugging me yesterday about what I was going to do tonight, and and, um, it was kind of funny. You ready? Every now and then she'd ask, and I wasn't doing much, and. And because uh, so I was pretty pretty confident in where I was going to go tonight, and um and then I got here this morning, and that didn't happen, so which was interesting. So I'm I'm not going to be in the book of Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes like I want with this cool little phrase that all fit together that I thought was neat. It's not going to happen. So, um, so you reflect, and I was thinking about. You know what he talked about this morning on, on meditation. Meditation, a simple version is just, just deep, concentrated, focused thought. I mean, in general, that's a general description of it. And what would drive that? You know, what drives your general, deep thoughts that you have? And, um, I was just sitting right there where Dale was this morning thinking about that and, and I was reflecting on, you know what what uh Isaac was doing you know, he was reflecting on the things that he saw the things that happened to him well that's that's what he would have meditated on. He didn't have anything else, and I was thinking on a handful of things over the past couple of years that has affected me and um, and has changed me, changed the way I think, and some of the things that I do and um <clears throat> uh, about a year ago, um, I, I, I didn't run across the verse. I was searching for a verse to, to fit what I needed. And um, a lot of you guys know that I shoot, and I uh, shoot competitively or have. And um, I was never sure, I never had this peace that this is what I should be doing. I'd have good days and bad. I'd pray about it. I'd seek the Lord's guidance in it. Should I really be doing this? And, and then I'd have a good day or a good outing. And I, I didn't, I didn't know if I could crack that up to prayer or if it was just me having a good day. Cause clearly there's people out there that shoot competitively that don't have their Lord in their life and they shoot well. So no disrespect to God. Don't take this wrong, but you don't need God to do that. You don't need God to do a lot of stuff because there's lots of people that do lots of stuff that have to know where it is God in their life. And so I kind of struggled with that, and I came across a scripture that I thought was the do-all, end-all to shooting well. And, um, and I've shared that with you before. It's Luke chapter 10. Just go ahead and turn over there. It's kind of and unfortunately and it has way more um, uses than what i was trying to use it for although it was very effective at that okay luke chapter 10 kind of a long chapter and on the end of it is uh i think this is the prod, not the prodigal this is um the uh, good samaritan i think But you get down toward the end, and um, verse 38, and now it came to pass, as they went, that they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. So this is Christ. He's preaching and teaching and healing and doing what he's doing, and he's got followers, and he's got friends, and he's got groupies all hanging around with him, and they end up in this town, this village, the Bible says the word village, so you can figure out how big that place is. Probably not very big. And they end up at Martha's house. And uh, Martha received them into her house, and she had a sister named Mary. We all know this. We've read this. Which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So Mary and Martha sisters, are sisters. They're at Martha's house. Christ is teaching Mary is at Jesus' feet, which also sat at Jesus' feet. That means there's other people there. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, came into him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. I just can't imagine saying that to Jesus. And I can't imagine that. I mean, how comfortable were they with Jesus or how little respect or understanding did she have to say that? I can't imagine saying that to him. I can't imagine saying to pastor, don't you care that my cars broke down or whatever, whatever my need was? And I can't imagine saying that to him as casual at times as our conversation is. I would never say that to him. And Jesus answered, responded, really didn't answer. Responded and fashion said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And maybe you didn't see this in here, but here Martha is, careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. That verse just was so powerful. Martha, Martha, Jesus Christ said this, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And that was the template that I needed. Because when I was doing what I was doing, I could never keep all those intrusive thoughts out of what I was doing. That affected what I did. And I found on this, I employed this template to what I was doing, and it allowed me to take all the intrusive thoughts out, and do what I wanted to do. Ultimately, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, and it was great. It lasted for a day or two. Yay! I hit this mark. I got this new title. It didn't feel that great. I mean, it did. But uh, it's like you go out to do something, and you do it, and you've wanted to do it, and you finally get it, and you go... Really? <laughs> right? Maybe it's a great meal somewhere. You got that, uh, it's good, but here it is six hours later and you're hungry again, right? Or eight. I mean, it was good. And um, so I thought, okay, good. I've got this template I can run on and I can do this now. I, I taught a lesson on this back around Christmas time and really. It is a extremely powerful passage of scripture because that is a, a mechanism. It's a tool. It's a template that everybody can use in your life every day when you are careful and troubled about many things, colon, but one thing is needful. When your mind is crazy and racing in any aspect, worried about the fire, pick anything you want. It's careful and troubled about many things. Look up those two words. I'm not going to define them here. But one thing is needful. The conscious mind can only do one thing at a time. That's all it can do. It can do a lot of one thing at a time in rapid succession, but it can only do one thing at a time. That's all your conscious mind can do. And it worked. So I thought, I'll just do this again. So I put that gun away, and I picked up another gun, and I tried it again, and I was ready, and I started, I'm just going to keep doing this. And I couldn't. I would... I would go to a match and I would, I would do poorly. And I, I couldn't, as silly as this is, I couldn't be needful of one thing. What's it say? But one thing is needful. I couldn't do one thing for one second. At the fastest levels of shooting, your string might last a little over two seconds takes about a second to get your first shot off and you got four more to go and in the four more to go I couldn't keep my mind on one thing and that's when I realized just how complicated your mind can fill stuff up with that was what I was doing and I was doing it and I was doing it and I I um, I went and I did it again and I stunk and I thought man what am I doing this for and Still didn't have that peace about doing it, and I said, "Okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one more time." And I prepared the way I prepared, and I was ready, and I got there, and and I remember saying to a couple of the guys there, because they know me, I was driving over to Benton City four hours to shoot for <laughs> um, ninety-seven seconds, <laughs> <laughs> and um and uh, I got over there and. There's, they have what they call a shooter's meeting, and I was there, and we were talking, and I got to talk to some of the guys. I said, yeah, this is kind of it for me. If I don't have a good day today, if I can't do well today, and I know I can, if I can't do it at this little match in Benton City, I'm not going up back up to the national level to do it again. I'm just not going to. And one of the guys said, boy, that's some pressure, <laughs> right? And uh, having a pretty decent day, did something stupid, got disqualified. Nothing was wrong, nothing was bad, nothing bad happened didn't follow the rules and, um, I got disqualified. And, um, and I said, I guess I'm done, but I still wanted to keep going. Right. So ultimately I kind of went back and forth. I said that I was done. I'm not sure if I'm done. I, I just beat myself up the whole way home. I got home and it was not good. And, um, i um I was talking to my friend Mike Mike Perry, and uh, it was it was a super casual conversation. It wasn't this deep, What's wrong, brother? We really need to get none of this spiritual, fancy Christianese talk. It was just a casual, candid conversation. And I just was done. He says, What are you doing it for?" And he didn't, not in an accusatory way, just what are you doing it for? And uh, I was doing it for pride, right? I hit the mark once, how many of these can I do? And he says, you can do this any day you want. And yeah, I can. I could go out on Friday and shoot at the top level, and on Saturday, I couldn't do it. I could, but I couldn't. What, what's this about? So I'm just, and, and it was that moment where I realized, you know, I, I don't need to do this anymore. And and he didn't know in the moment that that was happening, but that's, that's ultimately what happened. And so now my focus was off of that, and over time, a very short period of time, I wasn't really even thinking about it. Sure, I came home on a Thursday night. I always go to the office on Thursday night. I came home, sure, and said, y- you going to the office tonight? I'd, I'd forgotten. I'd had such a drive to do that and it was gone and I thought well that's it's kind of interesting right and so we started working on the house it kind of took a back seat and I still messed around with it but the, the, the drive and the whatever you want to call it was just kind of gone And it was just fine and um, but I still hung on to this scripture in Luke chapter 10 and how it began to impact other aspects of my life it impacted how I worked impact how I deal at work it sorts it so quickly allows you to sort clutter from stuff you can instantly take control of your mind you have control of your thoughts again that doesn't have to be there anymore and that's what I learned from that is that it, it doesn't have to be there anymore well, that was good and then I uh, I ended up running across some other scripture <clears throat> Just casually reading, sometimes purposefully reading, and uh, or maybe I heard it, or maybe I read it, or both. But it all kind of happened about the same time. And um, to turn with it, and that—that that was what was driving me, and that's what had that piece of scripture had been running me or helping me get to where I was at. And now that was gone, and so something was trying to fill up that space, that was just. And I ran across Matthew chapter 1, if you would. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 1. And I either heard somebody say this or I was poking around online and saw a, a, a sermon from somebody that some of you know. And uh, Matthew chapter 1. And in his sermon or in the conversation or whatever it was, he, he said, do, do you even know what Jesus means? What does the word Jesus mean? And here in Vect chapter 1 or 21, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Well, I would never thought that that's what his name meant where there's a direct tie to the word Jesus and this phrase or definition. I'd never read it that way before. We've all read that, right? We've all heard the story of Christmas before. but I never really paid that close of attention to it. He shall save his people from their sins. It doesn't say he shall forgive their people for their sins but he shall save his people from their sins. And I thought, okay, there, there's a difference than being saved from your sins and forgiven for your sins. I thought, well, how, how do you get saved from your sins? And then I thought, what is the mechanism by which we sin, right? Right? I don't want to list off a bunch of sins and pollute your mind with a bunch of garbage tonight, but I could think of a, a whole whole bunch of things that are egregious. One day you don't do something egregious; it just doesn't happen. It's an incremental process that you get there. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't don't. One one day you're just not at the top level of this sin over here that's egregious and nasty and horrible that we all think about, right? You're just not there. You progress to there. How do you? How does that sin ultimately get manifested in you? How did, what's the progression of sin? If I can be saved from this, what's the progression of it? Okay. And so, um, that's when I got online. I just, and that was in the back of my mind. And then, uh, I was listening to this sermon online and And as I was thinking about that, guess what comes up in this sermon? James chapter 1. So turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And to give a little context, let's read the first couple of verses here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting So here's a guy named James. He's writing him a letter and he's writing a letter to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. That's what he's doing. And you read down through here ways. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Um, A double-minded, verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And then you get down to verse 12. And I want to show you this progression. Just was just stood right out. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. So we all know this. Temptation is going to come. You will have to endure it. And if you endure it, you're blessed. That's what it says. Pretty simple stuff. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. So it's going to come. You will have to endure it. And when you endure it, the correct way, uh, you'll get a crown of life. You shall receive a crown of life. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man. Watch this progression that happens in verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is first drawn away of his own lust and enticed then when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it's finished bringeth forth death. So look at it kind of this way. You're here and sin is over here. The the first step into getting into sin, the first step is what? Um, he is drawn away. But every man is tempted. So there is a temptation. Thank you. There's a temptation, whatever it is. Uh, buying another pair of boots that you don't need. Buying another gun that you don't need. Having your fourth cup of coffee that you don't need. Having your third donut that you don't need or fourth or fifth donut that you don't need. Driving faster than you don't need to do. Whatever, whatever that temptation is. To say something back to someone in a bad tone or harsh tone or, or, or inappropriately. That's the sin, right? What's the first, that's, temp- that's, that's the temptation. What's the step to get there? So the temptation is there. What's the first step? You are drawn away. So if sin's here and you're here, the first step to sin is your first drawn away, but you're drawn away of what? You're drawn away of your own lust. Your own lust. That's that's what draws you away, is your own lust. Sin, sin can be out there. The the uh whatever it is can be out there. The the new fancy car, let's just say the new fancy car, it's out there. You can see it, you can acknowledge it, you can recognize it. But you don't have to look at it. That light is going to come into your eyes, whether you want it to or not. It's going to hit brain cells and it's going to register. But you don't, you don't have to continue to look at that pair of boots online. I've already got a pair of those boots. Why do I keep looking at the same pair of boots? You, that's, that's lust, if you will. You want to have another definition of lust? We're going to come back to this in just a second. Turn over to James chapter four, just a couple pages over. James chapter four, verse one, James four, when, from whence comes wars and fightings among you. So he's writing to the 12 tribes and he's talking about the fightings among them. Come they not hence, even of your own lusts that war in your members. This lust is, is, is not just between the tribes because the body is also, the body of Christ is also referred to as members, right? And your body is also referred to as having members. So this has a number of meanings here. But what does it say? It says, They come not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and ye have not. Lust is that desire, that overwhelming desire to have something, to have that car, to have that position, to have that money, to have that thing, to have that recognition, to have that privilege, to have whatever it is. That is lust, that overwhelming desire among the obvious one, I guess we're in a room full of adults here, among the obvious sensual ones, lust is that. It also includes this. ye lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have, you cannot obtain, you fight and war, you have not, because you ask not. And then even when you do ask, verse 3, ye ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you what? May consume it upon your own lust. God doesn't give anything because he knows that you're going to consume it in a lustful manner right? You might want a new car. You might need a new car, you think, or whatever. I'm just picking, I'm picking anything now, by the way. But that, but that lust is that overwhelming covetous desire, if you will, to have something typically fleshly or sensual, but it includes a lot of this back over to verse or James chapter one. But every man is drawn away of his own lust. So so the first step into death and sin is to be drawn away of your own lust. And then you're enticed, right? So first you're drawn away. And then at some point, this enticement is some type of intimacy which then conceives. And when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin so the step is first, you're drawn away of your own lust. You're enticed, so basically you act upon that lust, right? That lust and that action then conceives sin, and then sin brings about, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved. What's it? Do not. Um, then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it bringeth forth, death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. That's, that's the process. So if, if Jesus is to save us from our sins, they're ours, this sin, temptation at least, and I'm, I'm sure this applies to other sin, but certainly it, it's a progression. And the progression is to be drawn away. Well, where's a way? Where, where are you supposed to be if you're drawn away? Well, you're, you're, you're not where God wants you to be. You're not God in a, in a spiritual manner, maybe, maybe in a physical place. It could, that, that applies to a lot of stuff. But, but we're talking about the thought process that takes you into sin. And you're, you're first drawn away by your own lusts. And I thought, That's in me. That's that's what that whole shooting thing was. It owned me. I dreamed about it. I would wake up at night thinking about it. I would, I have two rooms in my house dedicated to shooting. One for reloading and one for practicing. I have targets on the walls. I would go up there for hours at a time and practice and reload. I would, I would work on loads. I would spend Way too much time doing that. And by the way, I'm not sure shooting is even bad or wrong. But guess what? When when it owns you, it is, right? When, when all you do is scroll through your phone looking at boots or guns or, or pick whatever it is it is, right? Uh, uh, this is what you do. I was talking to Nemeth this morning. And I had a cup of coffee in my hand. And, uh, I, 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 told him we went to San Diego. We went to San Diego for a couple of weeks and, and I was downtown San Diego and my daughter lives down, 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 downtown San Diego. And, um, and what's interesting is she lives in this little tiny part where there isn't a lot of traffic. I mean, I can't imagine a down, 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 down place that doesn't have traffic, but she lives there. And, uh, dog needs to go out in the morning. So they take the dog out. And I would get out and, uh, the only strip of grass in down, 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 downtown San Diego is Petco Field, which is two, two blocks away where the Padres play, and across the street and behind the valley parking for the Hilton Hotel. And there's a chunk of grass about twice the size of this room. There's a strip of grass that goes all the way down to the next strip that's six or eight feet wide oh, on both sides of the sidewalk. That's it. And every dog that lives downtown <laughs> goes, goes there. Well, I took Tuck down and And there's nobody around it. There's no dogs. I just unhooked them. And so I'm walking around town with downtown San Diego with my dog off leash. And everybody is doing this. They got their coffee. And they got their phone. And they got their earpiece in. I don't want to say everybody, but just about everybody. This is how they live. They didn't see me. They didn't see my dog, which is fine. I wasn't there for them. They weren't there for me. I just noticed that this is how they lived. And I thought, what is in their phone? What's in their phone that this is what they do? It it, it might be lust, but it's something. And I got to thinking, um, um so when I, I I saw this sermon and read this and looked at it, I'm going, What what am I doing? Well, I have to feed this lust. And I realized that I kind of quit shooting largely certainly competitively certainly at that level and I quit feeding that and the desire went away and it's just shooting guys it's just shooting right but it but it went away i i don't even want to go sometimes i mean the weekend comes and it was certain saturdays and i i can remember going oh good i don't have to go and I like doing it. And I do well. And I was there with people that I love to be around. Some of these friends of mine are the closest friends I have outside of this room. Okay, so I thought, if I don't feed this, that goes away. What else am I feeding that I didn't even really thought about? Because this is where the lust comes from. it Your own lust. Okay. Um, well, it... it It's what you feed it. How how many of you get in their car and the first thing you do is turn on the radio? I do. Um, I don't turn on the radio anymore. Because I don't want to sing those songs. You were talking about song in your heart, song in your head? I don't necessarily, I don't need, some of them are just empty songs. I'm not even saying they're good or bad. There's good songs that could could roll around. The re, the reason we sang "Redeem" tonight. That song has been playing in my head for about a month. I just let it play. I let it play. I don't try to stop it. I sing it out loud at work, not really loud, but I kind of hum it, and by myself. Uh, that's fine with me. I don't mind that. That doesn't. It's not like some songs that get stuck. That you. By the way, the trick I've been told to get that song out of your head is to sing it to completion. So if whatever song's rolling around your head, if you can somehow sing it to completion, it's likely to go away, FYI. Uh, I, I quit, and so what i do, i, I notice I I'd drive, get to a stoplight, and my hand would go up to turn on the radio. And I said, no, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. And I thought, oh, I could listen to talk radio. So I found the AM dial, and i listened to talk radio. I'm going, this isn't good for me, right? <laughs> There's right? Uh, I'm not saying talk radio is good or bad. It's just wasn't good for me in the moment because it feeds some other thing, right? That fear mongering, that fear that we all get force fed every day of everything that's bad in the world. So I I quit feeding that. And, And these were just little, right? And I just quit feeding them. But I... But I wanted to put something else in there, right? I wanted the radio to be on, so I turned on AM radio. I wanted to fill that up, and I thought, if, 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 if Jesus' name means to save me from my sins, that means you can be saved from your sins. I know I sound like Kamala Harris, but that's what it means, <laughs> right? That's what it means. Saved from your sins. That means you, you don't have to fuel that anymore. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's kind of cool because all of a sudden, this garbage songs don't play in my head anymore. And this is just little guys. Uh, I don't have this overwhelming desire to compete anymore. It's just not there, which is kind of fun because now when I do go and play, I just get a play. And I thought, but, but if there's a, if there's a mechanism that sin brings about death and there's a mechanism that you go through to get there and you can interrupt it, by the way, you can interrupt it along the way. You can be drawn away, see the enticement and backtrack, right? You can, you can, you can have your finger on the button to buy the next gun, gun. You can buy guns online. You can, you can have your finger on the button to buy the next gun or part or component or whatever, shoe, part for your whatever whatever lustful thing you flood into your life that you don't need, that we all don't need. We live in America, we don't need anything. It's all here. Whatever that is, you could you you could just not buy it. You could just say, I'm gonna wait another day. I'm gonna wait another week. You could you could put roadblocks up there. You don't have to you don't have to take the enticement to conception, right? So how then do you get out of that overwhelming area of sin that owns your life? There are people in this room that have been around habituating substances that have been saved from them. That's awesome. It doesn't own their life anymore. I am exceedingly grateful and thankful that I heard one phrase from one of my brothers when I was young, and I never went that way. I, I am just grateful that that happened to me. It's nothing that I did. I heard something when I was young, and I believed it, and I never went down that road, and I'm just thankful. I, I see it around me, and I'm just grateful that doesn't even bother me literally bathe my hands in controlled substances every day, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars of it every day. And it might as well be an aspirin tablet. I don't even care. Bottle them up and send them out to somebody else. It's not enticing to me, which I'm grateful for. But there's some people that, that, um, that, that they they've over, that they have overcome that. The Lord has brought them through that. That's just awesome. But how do you interrupt that process? Well, if, if you're drawn away of your own lusts, you need to change your lusts. You need to find something that isn't lustful and you talk about this all the time. We all have to change the way we think. If we want to get through that never-ending, drawn-away feeling, every time you drive by that restaurant, that car dealership, that place, that thing, that building, that event, that website, whatever it is that we're all drawn away from, you need a, you need a tool in place, you need a program, you need a template in place a scriptural one, to beat that. How do you change the way you think? There's a couple things. You can clearly, there's things in life that we all probably do on a regular basis that we don't need to do anymore, right? So if you're fighting any of this lustful stuff, and I've named some, and I'm just being, some of it I'm being silly on, right? Um, But um, just like, being troubled and careful about many things, comma, but one thing is needful. What if you knew that only your mind was only capable of doing one thing? You could focus on that one thing and all the things that you're troubled and careful and troubled about would get minimized because you would override it with just this one thought, just like that template works for that for controlling anxiety, for controlling, uh, poor decision-making for, Um, just calming a a chaotic moment. What can I do right now? There's a fire, my car's out of gas, my kids in the backseat scream, and I could just list a bunch of stuff, right? What can I do right now? What one thing can I do? And your mind, can only do one thing? And much of that will get pushed away. How about this lust thing? You have to change the way you think. You have to change the way that you bathe. What do you bathe your mind in? And if you're bathing your mind in stuff that you shouldn't, I have, I've subscribe to websites that send me deals on ammunition components. I unsubscribe to them. That's not hard, by the way. You just go to the bottom of the document, and you click on the unsubscribe thing. And if that doesn't work, because sometimes it doesn't, because I don't know if they're obligated to unsubscribe you, you can also mark it as spam. Can you mark it as spam a few times, and it won't show up anymore. How hard is that? Do you have stuff coming into your feed on Twitter? Do you follow Kim Kardashian? I don't have a Twitter account, so I don't follow anybody. But are you following garbage on web? It's easy to do. Do you subscribe to stuff that even though it's not necessarily bad or sinful, do you pollute your mind every day with stuff you probably don't need? I have to be careful of that. I know what websites I go to and like to read news. All this new stuff, I don't need to see it. I was gone for about a week. I didn't see a lot of that. I, I forgot how nice it was not to know all of that. But what's the scriptural way to get out of that cycle? To turn to Proverbs chapter twenty-three. By the way, I'm not I'm not saying this is a shortcut. And oh, you just need to click on this button on the computer, and that desire goes. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that any of this is easy, but it's a very simple process when when you look at it through the eyes of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 23. Let me get over there. Solomon. Um, I really don't want to get into this part of it. I just want to get to the good part. Okay. Uh, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. So think about this. You've been invited to sit at some powerful person's place—a ruler, a governor, a politician, your boss, somebody of authority, a ruler. Consider diligently what's before thee, and not just the food on the plate in front of you. Um, and put a knife to your throat if you be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of dainties; therefore, they are deceitful meat. Understand that plate of food in front of you might be deceitful. That person, that politician, that boss may be putting out there because they want something out of you. Labor not, Neighbor not to be rich, cease from thine ownism. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Let's go back to this, verse 6. Eat thou not the bread of him, him and the ruler, probably the same person here, that hath an evil eye, Neither desire thou his dainty meats. colon, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is his mindset. And how does he get there? He thinks that way. Solomon is warning you that when you get here, this guy's probably going to try to take advantage of you. Understand that. And that's what this food is about. And why is he this way? Because that's the way he thinks. He thinks that way. Guess what? We think of our own choosing. We are who we are. So is he, right? Um, Verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So as I thinketh in my heart, so am I. How do I change that? This is who I am. I wanted to shoot like crazy. I want to do this and this and this and this. That's who I was. How do I change that? Well, mine came about a little different way, but I had to stop thinking about it. I had to stop immersing myself in it. How do you do that? Well, some of it you can just quit inputting and some of it will go away. By natural flow, things will take its place. Some of it good, some of it bad. But how do you change the way you think? And this isn't just your thought. This is your heart. So as he thinketh in his heart, as I thinketh in my heart, as you thinketh in your heart, that's who you are. How do you change that? turn back a couple of pages to proverbs chapter 16 proverbs 16 verse 3 i ran across this i don't know how many years ago and it's just so true commit thy works unto the lord and thy thoughts will be established. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works and glorify God. I'm paraphrasing part of that. We're created to do good works, you can commit to doing them. And by committing to do that, you will think differently. And and I mean it's a simple my brother built a house ten or fifteen years ago. He was committed to that. I remember the day he closed. He hadn't even purchased the land yet. He had to go through all these processes to get there. And he had spent eighty thousand dollars in permissions that would be gone if the property didn't close. He had to get all these permissions in place, lending in place, all this in place. Had to spend all that money up front before the bank would approve him of a loan he could close on the the property and the construction loan to go with. He was committed. Can I tell you what? For about two years... That's all he did, because he was committed. He had a big, giant loan payment that was coming. He'd put 80,000 80, of his own money into this, and he was committed. And you know what he did? 24, not 24 hours a day, we always say that. Do you know what he did all the time? He thought about that house all the time. He committed his works under that house. I'm not saying that's wrong or bad, but guess what? That's what established his thoughts if we could wrap our minds around being committed to good works for the Lord, man, that first step of being drawn away due to our own lusts, that lust would change. We would desire things of the Lord. And we wouldn't end up at the end of that, where the sin is. And as simple as my stupid shooting thing was, it just became very obvious that it's a process. It was a process to get there. It was a process to come back. It was a process to do well. It was a process to improve. It was a process to understand where the sin gets. It was a process to um, overcoming that. And I'm not here to say that it's easy, and I'm not saying that... I just use that for an illustration not that it's good or bad or me it could have been anybody else but it's personal to me cuz it happened to me. We it all starts with what we think about and it all starts with our commitment to something. I mean I'm not going to rest the scriptures and fill in my word and say commit your heart commit your works to this and your thoughts will be established. I I believe that that verse could say, and I'm not trying to take away from Scripture, but I believe whatever you commit your works to, that's where your thoughts will be established. I think the template is in place there that if we could fill it in with anything. But but to know the steps to where your choices come to, and you can see down the road, we all know this, we're grown-ups in here. Man, I'm nearly the youngest guy in the room now. You, 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 no, I'm not. But, but, but we've, we've seen this before. We know where that goes. We don't have to go there. Christ came to save us from our sins, and he gave a template on how to do that. And um, the first step would be self-awareness. Like, wow, maybe I shouldn't drive by the car dealership every day. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a new car. But if it owns you, it owns you. I didn't get this overwhelming zot from the Lord that said, you need to stop shooting. No. No. It, it just doesn't need to own you. Can I tell you something? It's nice. It's really nice. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this time and for this very simple process. I just pray tonight that we would take this process and use it to grow closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.